Section 26 of White Knights and Other Stories by Fyodor Dostoevsky. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Little Hero by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translated from the Russian by Constance Garnett. Part 3. In another instant, I should have flown off. I was falling, but several gentlemen flew to my rescue. Two of them intercepted the way into the open country. Two others galloped up, closing in upon Tancred, so that their horses' sides almost crushed my legs, and both of them caught him by the bridle. A few seconds later we were back at the steps. They lifted me down from the horse, pale and scarcely breathing. I was shaking like a blade of grass in the wind. It was the same with Tancred who was standing, his hoofs, as it were, thrust into the earth, and his whole body thrown back, puffing his fiery breath from red and streaming nostrils, twitching and quivering all over, seeming overwhelmed with wounded pride and anger at a child's being so bold with impunity. All around me I heard cries of bewilderment, surprise, and alarm. At that moment my straying eyes caught those of Madame M., who looked pale and agitated, and, I can never forget that moment. In one instant, my face was flooded with color, glowed and burned like fire. I don't know what happened to me, but confused and frightened by my own feelings, I timidly dropped my eyes to the ground. But my glance was noticed. It was caught. It was stolen from me. All eyes turned on Madame M., and finding herself unawares the center of attention, she too flushed like a child from some naive and involuntary feeling and made an unsuccessful effort to cover her confusion by laughing. All this, of course, was very absurd-looking from outside, but at the moment an extremely naive and unexpected circumstance saved me from being laughed at by everyone, and gave a special color to the whole adventure. The lovely persecutor, who was the instigator of the whole escapade, and who till then had been my irreconcilable foe, suddenly rushed up to embrace and kiss me. She had hardly been able to believe her eyes when she saw me dare to accept her challenge and pick up the gauntlet she had flung at me by glancing at Madame M. She had almost died of terror and self-reproach when I had flown off on Tancred. Now, when it was all over, and particularly when she caught the glance at Madame M., my confusion and my sudden flush of color, when the romantic strain in her frivolous little head had given a new secret, unspoken significance to the moment, she was moved to such enthusiasm over my knightliness that, touched, joyful, and proud of me, she rushed up and pressed me to her bosom. She lifted the most naive, stern-looking little face, on which there quivered and gleamed two little crystal tears, and gazing at the crowd that thronged about her, said in a grave, earnest voice, such as they had never heard her use before, pointing to me, Maïs c'est très sérieux, messieurs but it is very serious gentlemen do not laugh she did not notice all were standing as though fascinated admiring her bright enthusiasm her swift unexpected action her earnest little face the simple-hearted naivete the unexpected feeling betrayed by the tears that welled in her invariably laughter-loving eyes were such a surprise that everyone stood before her as though electrified by her expression her rapid, fiery words and gestures. 
it seemed as though no one could take his eyes off her for fear of missing that rare moment in her enthusiastic face even our host flushed crimson as a tulip and people declared that they heard him confess afterwards that to his shame he had been in love for a whole minute with his charming guest well of course after this i was a knight a hero Delorge, togenberg was heard in the crowd there was a sound of applause hurrah for the rising generation added the host but he is coming with us he certainly must come with us said the beauty we will find him a place we must find him a place he shall sit beside me on my knee but no no that's a mistake she corrected herself laughing unable to restrain her mirth at our first encounter but as she laughed she stroked my hand tenderly doing all she could to soften me that i might not be offended of course of course several voices chimed in he must go he has won his place the matter was settled in a trice the same old maid who had brought about my acquaintance with the blonde beauty was at once besieged with entreaties from all the younger people to remain at home and let me have her seat she was forced to consent to her intense vexation with a smile and a stealthy hiss of anger her protectress who was her usual refuge my former foe and new friend called to her as she galloped off on her spirited horse laughing like a child that she envied her and would have been glad to stay at home herself for it was just going to rain and we should all get soaked and she was right in predicting rain a regular downpour came on within an hour and the expedition was done for we had to take shelter for some hours in the huts of the village and had to return home between nine and ten in the evening in the damp mist that followed the rain i began to be a little feverish at the minute when i was starting madame m came up to me and expressed surprise that my neck was uncovered and that i had nothing on over my jacket i answered that i had not had time to get my coat she took out a pin and pinned up the turned-down collar of my shirt took off her own neck a crimson gauze kerchief and put it round my neck that i might not get a sore throat she did this so hurriedly that i had not time even to thank her but when we got home i found her in the little drawing-room with the blonde beauty and the pale-faced young man who had gained glory for horsemanship that day by refusing to ride tancred i went up to thank her and give her back the scarf but now after all my adventures i felt somehow ashamed i wanted to make haste and get upstairs there at my leisure to reflect and consider i was brimming over with impressions as i gave back the kerchief i blushed up to my ears as usual i bet he would like to keep the kerchief said the young man laughing one can see that he is sorry to part with your scarf that's it that's it the fair lady put in what a boy oh she said shaking her head with obvious vexation but she stopped in time at a grave glance from madame m who did not want to carry the jest too far i made haste to get away well you are a boy said the madcap overtaking me in the next room and affectionately taking me by both hands why you should have simply not returned the kerchief if you wanted so much to have it you should have said you put it down somewhere and that would have been the end of it what a simpleton couldn't even do that what a funny boy and she tapped me on the chin with her finger laughing at my having flushed as red as a poppy 
i am your friend now you know am i not our enmity is over isn't it yes or no i laughed and pressed her fingers without a word oh why are you so why are you so pale and shivering have you caught a chill yes i don't feel well ah poor fellow that's the result of over-excitement do you know what you had better go to bed without sitting up for supper and you will be all right in the morning come along she took me upstairs and there was no end to the care she lavished on me leaving me to undress she ran downstairs got me some tea and brought it up herself when i was in bed she brought me up a warm quilt as well i was much impressed and touched by all the care and attention lavished on me or perhaps i was affected by the whole day the expedition and feverishness as i said good-night to her i hugged her warmly as though she were my dearest and nearest friend and in my exhausted state all the emotions of the day came back to me in a rush i almost shed tears as i nestled to her bosom she noticed my overwrought condition and i believe my madcap herself was a little touched you are a very good boy she said looking at me with gentle eyes please don't be angry with me you won't will you in fact we became the warmest and truest of friends it was rather early when i woke up but the sun was already flooding the whole room with brilliant light i jumped out of bed feeling perfectly well and strong as though i had had no fever the day before indeed i felt now unutterably joyful i recalled the previous day and felt that i would have given any happiness if i could at that minute have embraced my new friend the fair-haired beauty again as i had the night before but it was very early and every one was still asleep hurriedly dressing i went out into the garden and from there into the copse i made my way where the leaves were thickest where the fragrance of the trees was more resinous and where the sun peeped in most gaily rejoicing that it could penetrate the dense darkness of the foliage it was a lovely morning going on further and further before i was aware of it i had reached the further end of the copse and had come out on the river moskva it flowed at the bottom of the hill two hundred paces below on the opposite bank of the river they were mowing i watched whole rows of sharp sides gleam all together in the sunlight at every swing of the mower and then vanish again like little fiery snakes going into hiding i watched the cut grass flying on one side in dense rich swaths and being laid in long straight lines i don't know how long i spent in contemplation at last i was roused from my reverie by hearing a horse snorting and impatiently pawing the ground twenty paces from me in the track which ran from the high road to the manor house i don't know whether i heard this horse as soon as the rider rode up and stopped there or whether the sound had long been in my ears without rousing me from my dreaming moved by curiosity i went into the copse and before i had gone many steps i caught the sound of voices speaking rapidly though in subdued tones i went up closer carefully parting the branches of the bushes that edged the path and at once sprang back in amazement i caught a glimpse of a familiar white dress and a soft feminine voice resounded like music in my heart it was madame m she was standing beside a man on horseback who stooping down from the saddle was hurriedly talking to her and to my amazement 
I recognized him as Monsieur N., the young man who had gone away the morning before, and over whose departure Monsieur M. had been so busy. But people had said at the time that he was going far away to somewhere in the south of Russia, and so I was very much surprised at seeing him with us again so early, and alone with Madame M. She was moved and agitated as I had never seen her before, and tears were glistening on her cheeks. The young man was holding her hand and stooping down to kiss it. I had come upon them at the moment of parting. They seemed to be in haste. At last he took out of his pocket a sealed envelope, gave it to Madame M., put one arm round her, still not dismounting, and gave her a long, fervent kiss. A minute later he lashed his horse and flew past me like an arrow. Madame M. looked after him for some moments, then pensively and disconsolately turned homewards. But after going a few steps along the track, she seemed suddenly to recollect herself, hurriedly parted the bushes and walked on through the copse. I followed her, surprised and perplexed by all that I had seen. My heart was beating violently, as though from terror. I was, as it were, benumbed and befogged. My ideas were shattered and turned upside down, but I remember I was, for some reason, very sad. I got glimpses from time to time through the green foliage of her white dress before me. I followed her mechanically, never losing sight of her, though I trembled at the thought that she might notice me. At last she came out on the little path that led to the house. After waiting half a minute, I too emerged from the bushes, but what was my amazement when I saw lying on the red sand of the path a sealed packet, which I recognized from the first glance as the one that had been given to Madame M. ten minutes before. I picked it up. On both sides the paper was blank. There was no address on it. The envelope was not large, but it was fat and heavy, as though there were three or more sheets of notepaper in it. What was the meaning of this envelope? No doubt it would explain the whole mystery. Perhaps in it there was said all that Monsieur N. had scarcely hoped to express in their brief hurried interview. He had not even dismounted. Whether he had been in haste or whether he had been afraid of being false to himself at the hour of parting, God only knows. I stopped, without coming out on the path, threw the envelope in the most conspicuous place on it, and kept my eyes upon it, supposing that Madame M. would notice the loss, and come back and look for it. But after waiting four minutes, I could stand it no longer. I picked up my find again, put it in my pocket, and set off to overtake Madame M. I came upon her in the big avenue in the garden. She was walking straight towards the house with a swift and hurried step, though she was lost in thought, and her eyes were on the ground. I did not know what to do. Go up to her? Give it to her? That would be as good as saying that I knew everything, that I had seen it all. I should betray myself at the first word. And how should I look at her? How would she look at me? I kept expecting that she would discover her loss and return on her tracks. Then I could, unnoticed, have flung the envelope into the path, and she would have found it. But no, we were approaching the house. She had already been noticed. As ill luck would have it, 
Everyone had got up very early that day, because, after the unsuccessful expedition of the evening before, they had arranged something new, of which I had heard nothing. All were preparing to set off, and were having breakfast in the veranda. I waited for ten minutes, that I might not be seen with Madame M., and making a circuit of the garden, approached the house from the other side a long time after her. She was walking up and down the veranda with her arms folded, looking pale and agitated, and was obviously trying her utmost to suppress the agonizing, despairing misery which could be plainly discerned in her eyes, her walk, her every movement. Sometimes she went down the veranda steps and walked a few paces among the flower beds in the direction of the garden. Her eyes were impatiently, greedily, even incautiously, seeking something on the sand of the path and on the floor of the veranda. There could be no doubt she had discovered her loss, and imagined she had dropped the letter somewhere here, near the house. Yes, that must be so, she was convinced of it. Someone noticed that she was pale and agitated, and others made the same remark. She was besieged with questions about her health and condolences. She had to laugh, to jest, to appear lively. From time to time she looked at her husband, who was standing at the end of the terrace, talking to two ladies, and the poor woman was overcome by the same shudder, the same embarrassment, as on the day of his first arrival. Thrusting my hand into my pocket, and holding the letter tight in it, I stood at a little distance from them all, praying to fate that Madame M. should notice me. I longed to cheer her up, to relieve her anxiety, if only by a glance, to say a word to her on the sly. But when she did chance to look at me, I dropped my eyes. I saw her distress, and I was not mistaken. To this day I don't know her secret. I know nothing but what I saw, and what I have just described. The intrigue was not such, perhaps, as one might suppose at the first glance. Perhaps that kiss was the kiss of farewell. Perhaps it was the last slight reward for the sacrifice made to her peace and honor. Monsieur N. was going away. He was leaving her, perhaps forever. Even that letter I was holding in my hand, who can tell what it contained? How can one judge? And who can condemn? And yet there is no doubt that the sudden discovery of her secret would have been terrible, would have been a fatal blow for her. I still remember her face at that minute. It could not have shown more suffering. To feel, to know, to be convinced, to expect as though it were one's execution, that in a quarter of an hour, in a minute, perhaps, all might be discovered. The letter might be found by someone, picked up. There was no address on it. It might be opened. And then... What then? What torture could be worse than what was awaiting her? She moved about among those who would be her judges. In another minute, their smiling, flattering faces would be menacing and merciless. She would read mockery, malice, and icy contempt on those faces, and then her life would be plunged into everlasting darkness, with no dawn to follow. Yes, I did not understand it then as I understand it now. I could only have vague suspicions and misgivings, and a heartache at the thought of her danger, which I could not fully understand. But whatever lay hidden in her secret, much was expiated, 
if expiation were needed, by those moments of anguish of which I was witness, and which I shall never forget. But then came a cheerful summons to set off. Immediately every one was bustling about gaily. Laughter and lively chatter were heard on all sides. Within two minutes the veranda was deserted. Madame M. declined to join the party, acknowledging at last that she was not well. But thank God all the others set off. Every one was in haste, and there was no time to worry her with commiseration, inquiries, and advice. A few remained at home. Her husband said a few words to her. She answered that she would be all right directly, that he need not be uneasy, that there was no occasion for her to lie down, that she would go into the garden, alone, with me. Here she glanced at me. Nothing could be more fortunate. I flushed with pleasure, with delight. A minute later we were on the way. She walked along the same avenues and paths by which she had returned from the copse instinctively remembering the way she had come, gazing before her with her eyes fixed on the ground, looking about intently without answering me, possibly forgetting that I was walking beside her. But when we had already reached the place where I had picked up the letter, and the path ended, Madame M. suddenly stopped, and in a faint voice, and weak with misery, said that she felt worse, and that she would go home. But when she reached the garden fence, she stopped again and thought a minute. A smile of despair came on her lips, and utterly worn out and exhausted, resigned and making up her mind to the worst, she turned without a word and retraced her steps, even forgetting to tell me of her intention. My heart was torn with sympathy, and I did not know what to do. We went, or rather I led her, to the place from which an hour before I had heard the tramp of a horse and their conversation. Here, close to a shady elm tree, was a seat hewn out of one huge stone, about which grew ivy, wild jasmine, and dog rose. The whole wood was dotted with little bridges, arbors, grottoes, and similar surprises. Madame M. sat down on the bench, and glanced unconsciously at the marvelous view that lay open before us. A minute later she opened her book, and fixed her eyes upon it without reading without turning the pages, almost unconscious of what she was doing. It was about half-past nine. The sun was already high and was floating gloriously in the deep, dark blue sky, as though melting away in its own light. The mowers were by now far away. They were scarcely visible from our side of the river. Endless ridges of mown grass crept after them in unbroken succession, and from time to time, a faintly stirring breeze wafted their fragrance to us. The never-ceasing concert of those who sow not, neither do they reap, and are free as the air they cleave with their sportive wings, was all about us. It seemed as though, at that moment, every flower, every blade of grass, was exhaling the aroma of sacrifice, was saying to its creator, Father, I am blessed and happy. I glanced at the poor woman, who alone was like one dead amidst all this joyous life. Two big tears hung motionless on her lashes, wrung from her heart by bitter grief. It was in my power to relieve and console this poor, fainting heart. Only I did not know how to approach the subject, how to take the first step. 
I was in agonies. A hundred times I was on the point of going up to her, but every time my face glowed like fire. Suddenly a bright idea dawned upon me. I had found a way of doing it. I revived. Would you like me to pick you a nosegay? I said in such a joyful voice that Madame M. immediately raised her head and looked at me intently. Yes, do, she said at last in a weak voice, with a faint smile, at once dropping her eyes on the book again. Or soon they will be mowing the grass here, and there will be no flowers, I cried, eagerly setting to work. I had soon picked my nosegay, a poor simple one. I should have been ashamed to take it indoors, but how light my heart was, as I picked the flowers and tied them up. The dog rose and the wild jasmine I picked closer to the seat. I knew that not far off there was a field of rye, not yet ripe. I ran there for cornflowers. I mixed them with tall ears of rye, picking out the finest and most golden. Close by I came upon a perfect nest of forget-me-nots, and my nosegay was almost complete. Farther away in the meadow there were dark blue campanulas and wild pinks, and I ran down to the very edge of the river to get yellow water lilies. At last, making my way back and going for an instant into the wood to get some bright green fan-shaped leaves of the maple to put round the nosegay, I happened to come across a whole family of pansies, close to which, luckily for me, the fragrant scent of violets betrayed the little flower hiding in the thick lush grass and still glistening with the drops of dew. The nosegay was complete. I bound it round with fine long grass which twisted into a rope, and I carefully lay the letter in the center, hiding it with the flowers, but in such a way that it could be very easily noticed if the slightest attention were bestowed upon my nosegay. I carried it to Madame M. On the way it seemed to me that the letter was lying too much in view. I hid it a little more. As I got nearer I thrust it still further in the flowers, and finally, when I was on the spot, I suddenly poked it so deeply into the center of the nosegay that it could not be noticed at all from outside. My cheeks were positively flaming. I wanted to hide my face in my hands and run away at once. But she glanced at my flowers, as though she had completely forgotten that I had gathered them. Mechanically, almost without looking, she held out her hand and took my present, but at once laid it on the seat, as though I had handed it to her for that purpose, and dropped her eyes to her book again, seeming lost in thought. I was ready to cry at this mischance. If only my nosegay were close to her, I thought. If only she had not forgotten it. I lay down on the grass not far off, put my right arm under my head and closed my eyes as though I were overcome by drowsiness. But I waited, keeping my eyes fixed on her. Ten minutes passed. It seemed to me that she was getting paler and paler. Fortunately, a blessed chance came to my aid. This was a big golden bee, brought by a kindly breeze, luckily for me. It first buzzed over my head, then flew up to Madame M. She waved it off once or twice, but the bee grew more and more persistent. At last Madame M. snatched up my nosegay and waved it before my face. At that instance 
the letter dropped out from among the flowers and fell straight upon the open book. I started. For some time, Madame M., mute with amazement, stared first at the letter and then at the flowers which she was holding in her hands, and she seemed unable to believe her eyes. All at once she flushed, started, and glanced at me. But I caught her movement, and I shut my eyes tight, pretending to be asleep. Nothing would have induced me to look her straight in the face at that moment. My heart was throbbing and leaping like a bird in the grasp of some village boy. I don't remember how long I lay with my eyes shut, two or three minutes. At last I ventured to open them. Madame M. was greedily reading the letter, and from her glowing cheeks, her sparkling, tearful eyes, her bright face, every feature of which was quivering with joyful emotion, I guessed that there was happiness in the letter, and all her misery was dispersed like smoke. An agonizing, sweet feeling gnawed at my heart. It was hard for me to go on pretending. I shall never forget that minute. Suddenly, a long way off, we heard voices. Madame M. Natalie! Natalie! Madame M. did not answer, but she got up quickly from the seat, came up to me and bent over me. I felt that she was looking straight into my face. My eyelashes quivered, but I controlled myself and did not open my eyes. I tried to breathe more evenly and quietly, but my heart smothered me with its violent throbbing. Her burning breath scorched my cheeks. She bent close down to my face as though trying to make sure. At last a kiss and tears fell on my hand, the one which was lying on my breast. Natalie! Natalie, where are you? we heard again, this time quite close. Coming! said Madame M., in her mellow, silvery voice, which was so choked and quivering with tears, and so subdued, that no one but I could hear that, Coming! But at that instant my heart at last betrayed me, and seemed to send all my blood rushing to my face. At that instant a swift, burning kiss scalded my lips. I uttered a faint cry. I opened my eyes, but at once the same gauze kerchief fell upon them, as though she meant to screen me from the sun. An instant later she was gone. I heard nothing but the sound of rapidly retreating steps. I was alone. I pulled off her kerchief and kissed it, beside myself with rapture. For some moments I was almost frantic. Hardly able to breathe, leaning on my elbow on the grass, I stared unconsciously before me at the surrounding slopes, streaked with cornfields, at the river that flowed twisting and winding far away, as far as the eye could see, between fresh hills and villages that gleamed like dots all over the sunlit distance, at the dark blue, hardly visible forests, which seemed as though smoking at the edge of the burning sky, and a sweet stillness, inspired by the triumphant peacefulness of a picture, gradually brought calm to my troubled heart. I felt more at ease and breathed more freely, but my whole soul was full of a dumb, sweet yearning, as though a veil had been drawn from my eyes, as though at a foretaste of something. My frightened heart, faintly quivering with expectation, was groping timidly and joyfully towards some conjecture. And all at once my bosom heaved, began aching as though something had pierced it, 
and tears, sweet tears, gushed from my eyes. I hid my face in my hands, and quivering like a blade of grass, gave myself up to the first consciousness and revelation of my heart, the first vague glimpse of my nature. My childhood was over from that moment. When two hours later I returned home, I did not find Madame M. Through some sudden chance, she had gone back to Moscow with her husband. I never saw her again. End of Part 3 and End of A Little Hero by Fyodor Dostoevsky